go look on the back of a $100 bill. Go look at what it says at the bottom. It's literally called a Federal Reserve debt note. A lot of them say it on it. So how can you pay a minus, right? A debt is a minus on a balance sheet, a negative sign, right? How can you cancel out a minus, a debt, with a minus, a debt note? Is that adding up to you? No pun intended. Welcome to the Conscious Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Griff. I'm a conscious serial entrepreneur with a passion for wealth creation, sovereignty and natural law, spirituality and consciousness, financial literacy, commerce, investing, and the game of money. I am the founder of the Level Up Collective, a conscious wealth mastermind in which I lead countless others through the process of unlearning most, if not all, of what we've been taught about the world and the game of money, and then relearning what the rules of this secretive game really are and how we can actually win at it. I was incredibly blessed to stumble across many of the secrets of the 1% at a young age. And rather than keeping it all to myself, I'm on a mission to share this information freely with as many people as I can. This podcast is going to challenge the very fabric of your reality. And at times, you may find yourself running up against some of your deepest unconscious belief systems. I encourage you to give yourself grace, keep an open mind, and never just accept what I say as fact. Always do your own research. I never want you to just assume I am telling the truth. I am not here to convince or teach you anything, but rather to reflect back and remind you of things that somewhere in your consciousness you already know. Take what resonates, discard what doesn't, and enjoy the ride. Now let's get started. Hello, hello everyone. Today's episode is probably going to be a two-part episode because we're going to dive deep. And before we get into anything, I want to say hello to all of our new listeners. We have had a massive influx of new listeners, new subscribers, new followers across different platforms. So part of what I wanted to do in today's episode or today's two-part episode is give you guys a serious background and solid foundation in understanding how sovereignty came about. Now, I'm using this word with air quotes. I've explained many times, but if you're new to my content, I use the word sovereignty because it's easiest for the most amount of people to understand. Having said that, the word sovereignty is really a blanket word. To some people, it means something relating to their body. To some people, it means living off grid. To some people, it means common law. In our community, most of what we teach is consumer law and contract law and trust law. Mainly, all three of these realms focus on debts and commercial affairs. We do not focus on things like status correction and that type of those types of processes. Having said that, it's important to understand the background of how we got here and the foundations 
which do have a lot of overlap. So what I'm going to talk about today, I have never heard this spoken on before. I, I want to give a thorough, thorough breakdown today of how the sovereignty movement came about, its uses, and then more importantly, where the future is headed. I think the easiest way to go about this will be if we start off with some very important dates, historical dates. So let's get into it. First things first, in 1870, we had the second industrial revolution beginning. And for those of you who don't remember high school history class, (laughs) the second industrial revolution was probably the most dramatic shift we had ever seen for sure. And it may still be the most dramatic shift we've ever seen outside of the one we're currently going through. The world shifted because of electricity, gas, and oil. And this created very unique opportunities for a select few families. So that's 1870, okay? Now we have 1871. During the Civil War, the Constitutional Republic that we used to have abandoned Congress And this forced President Lincoln to issue martial law. The Republic was taken over at this time by foreign insurgents and replaced with the, all caps, United States of America, Inc. Now, for any of you who have heard of common law, heard some of this stuff or studied some of it, if you've come across some of the stuff that talks about how there's different, there's multiple different United States of Americas. There's a lowercase, there's an upper and lowercase, there's an all uppercase. The United States of America can mean many different things. And this trick that they pulled, where now it basically just means a corporation, not even a landmass, really took place, at least its origins were in 1871. So I want you to think about how long ago that was. That's 150 years ago. 150 years, okay? That's going to be important as we get into the later parts of this episode. So now we're going to fast forward a little bit to 1907. In 1907, birth certificates are rolled out nationwide in the U.S. Why do you think that's important? Well, for those of you who have done any form of studying on these topics, the birth certificate is your entry into the system. It is as soon as your foot is stamped on there and or your parents sign off on that with black ink, right? And the doctor signs it. That birth certificate just created you as a corporation. That was the creation of your straw man. And this was rolled out in 1907. So about 115 years ago. Now we're going to fast forward to 1912. The United States Corporation was later purchased by banking powers. And the banking powers who purchased it are the same banking powers behind the Federal Reserve. 
And something that I think is is very funny that a lot of people don't <laughs> have any clue about is that the Federal Reserve is not only not our government, it's a private for-profit corporation, but it's also not American. It's owned by the crown. It's owned by Europe. And so in a very strange way, America isn't American. Everything you think of as our government, as our institutions, our monetary system, all of these systems, they're owned by other nations, privately owned. But that's a whole other rabbit hole. So that's 1912. Now, 1913. 1913, a lot of you should know this date. What happened in 1913? The Federal Reserve was created. At the same time, they created the Federal Income Tax, taxing the U.S. citizens to pay back. This is, this is what they say. This is how they explain it. We tax our citizens to pay back our borrowed debts as, a U, as the U.S. government to the Federal Reserve Bank. So at a very simple level, if you study corporate finance, what they will teach you is that the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve work hand in hand. They're not the same thing. The Federal Reserve can print and lend money to the government at a certain interest rate. And then in order to pay that back, the government has to tax its citizens. So the way they propose it is that it's a win-win because the government is supposedly using that money to do things in the citizens' best interest to improve their lives. And then the citizens use their labor and are taxed on that labor to pay back the debt. However, if you're listening to this, you might have a hunch that that is bullshit. What's actually occurring here is an income tax was placed on the people to pay off the foreign bankers, these banking cartels. At this time, salvage liens were placed on every asset. So like, how did this, how did this work? Basically, liens were placed on every asset. And when you're if you think of the United States no longer as a body of land or as a government, and you think of it as a corporation now, think of it as a business. If you buy a business and that business is in debt to you, what are you going to do to ensure that those debts get paid? You're going to put a lien on that business, right? Well, the business is the United States corporation. What are the assets of the United States corporation? Well, the assets are its people. So liens were placed on every asset, including the people of these new federalized states. So now that we understand that, we're going to fast forward to 1933. What is going on, guys? I just want to take a really quick break from the podcast to remind you that if you're continuing to receive value from the Conscious Wealth podcast, the absolute best thing that you can do to support us is leave us a quick five-star review and let us know how you're liking the show. I have literally nothing to sell you unless you happen to feel overwhelmingly inspired to join the Level Up Collective, our wealth mastermind, but I will never sell you on that. And honestly, we turn away about 40% of applicants every enrollment period. I started this podcast to give back and share the hidden knowledge that no one seems to be willing to share publicly, let alone share it for free. I'm sure you guys have noticed that we do not do any advertising of other companies on the podcast, nor do we run ads on our YouTube videos, simply because we're playing the long game with this podcast. We truly want to impact millions 
If that resonates with you, help us continue to provide you top-tier content by rating the show and sharing it with your friends. Thank you so much for the support. Now let's get back to the show. 1933, the United States of America, Inc. went bankrupt again and outlawed the repayment of debts in gold. I'm going to say that again. In 1933, House Joint Resolution Act 192 outlawed the repayment of debts in gold and forced the U.S. citizens to adopt Federal Reserve notes, aka fiat, on the population. This was, in my opinion, the beginning of the end, as far as our debt-based monetary system goes. Up until this time, the dollar was pegged to something. After this day, after House Joint Resolution 192 was signed and enforced, there was no longer any form of accountability checks and balances, responsibility. That all went out the window. Gold was now completely irrelevant as it related to the value of the dollar. And this also did a lot in the world of what we now know as sovereignty. Because as soon as they did this, it changed what it means to have quote unquote debt. Because that debt is tied to Federal Reserve notes. And when you study Federal Reserve notes, you learn that Federal Reserve notes themselves are debt. So wait a minute. You're telling me, Mr. Government, Mr. IRS, that I'm supposed to pay this alleged debt you say I owe with Federal Reserve debt notes? Go look on the back of a $100 bill. Go look at what it says at the bottom. It's literally called a Federal Reserve debt note. A lot of them say it on it. So how can you pay a minus, right? A debt is a minus on a balance sheet, a negative sign, right? How can you cancel out a minus, a debt, with a minus, a debt note? Is that adding up to you? No pun intended. Hopefully you're starting to, your wheels are starting to turn here. You can't pay a debt with a debt, but they took us off gold and they gave us debt, IOUs. Federal Reserve debt notes. And we've gone our whole lives never questioning this because the programming is so effective. But my question to you is, how is it possible to pay off debt that you supposedly have with debt notes? That would just further put you into debt. Doesn't make sense. So something's missing here. Now, as far as dates and everything I've gone over thus far, starting at 1870, up until 1933. It's important that you understand that none of this was done with full disclosure. None of it was done with full disclosure. And as such, because of that, it is not legally binding. This is exactly why, for example, many laws and taxes are voluntary. I'm not saying all laws are voluntary. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that there are certain instances, such as taxes, at least income taxes on quote-unquote citizens, that are voluntary because none of this was done with full disclosure. Meaning, 
there's something called a meeting of the minds. And when you study contract law, one of the most important premises, foundations of contract law, which if you're unaware, contracts govern the world. They literally run the world. Contracts are everything, verbal, implicit, explicit, written, etc. In order for there to be a valid contract, there has to be something called a meeting of the minds, which basically means that all parties involved are of sound mind. In other words, they are clearly understanding what they're agreeing to. They're clearly in a healthy mental space. They're not being tricked. They're not being, you know, legalese isn't being used against them, etc. And we know that in the systems that we currently have, that is not the case. Every contract you've ever looked at has legalese. And in these situations, all of these changes are rolled out and they're so confusing and swift that people don't understand and they just go go along with it because of fear of what will happen if they don't. And the irony is as soon as you go along with it, you're consenting. You don't realize that. But in contract law, when you go along with something, silence is acquiescence. It's one of the 10 maxims of law under UCC. So that's really important to understand. And to kind of bring this full circle, the United States is a corporation. And when you pay taxes, you pay taxes to the in God we trust. I want you to look on your dollar again, and I want you to look at the bottom of it or the middle of it on the back. And you're going to see that it says in God we trust. Now, most people their whole lives have lived saying that, thinking that that is keeping God in the United States nation. To that, I say, I used to think that too. And I was very naive. What this actually is, is very clever marketing, very clever branding. These same families that pulled this off that I just, everything I just walked you through, they created a trust and they called it in God we. So when you put it together, It's called In God We Trust, and they put it right in front of your face, because as we know, they have to be transparent about what they're doing. It's one of the metaphysical rules, if you will. They put things in plain sight, but most people never, they cannot fathom that. They can't fathom to look and see what's actually there. It's actually being shown to them. So now that we've ran through all of that, That is how we got to where we are today. I wanted to kind of catch you guys up on that so that you can be clear before we move into part two, how we got here to a system which was created over 100, 120 years ago that is run by foreign banking cartels and very powerful families whose last name I'm sure you've heard before, at least some of them. And this hundred plus year old system is the only reason that there exists a sovereignty movement. I don't know if that sounds simple to some of you. I don't know if you're like, well, I've never thought of that. My experience in being a human, especially in the realms that I choose to dabble in, has been that most of us don't stop to take the time 
to zoom out or we're unable to due to the stress in our lives, we don't take the time to zoom out and ask ourselves, has life always been like this or is this temporary? And most of us don't study history. So the perspective that I'm able to bring is not only because of my disciplined temperament and my practices and the internal work I've done, it's also largely because I study history. I've studied economic history. I've studied the history that they won't teach you. And so it allows me to see patterns over and over and over. And human nature doesn't change. So the same way I have people constantly asking me, is the stock market going to cease to exist tomorrow? It's all going to shit. Now's the time. It's like people have thought that every single generation, (laughs) right? Or the end of the world. People have thought that every single generation. So it's really helpful to zoom out and study history. So this whole sovereignty movement, it's really what I want to talk about here and tie this in. So another way to say this is if if we weren't still operating under a debt-based monetary system, which is actually controlled by Europe and the crown, the Vatican, but it seems like it's run by the US, in which our government seems like it's a corporation or a nation, sorry, sorry, in which our government seems like it's a government or a nation, but it's actually corporation, there would be no need for sovereignty or common law or UCC or any of these approaches that we the people have come across in the last few decades as a means, as a vehicle to free ourselves from the system that has gotten out of hand. So why did I just walk you through all that history? For you to understand, this isn't that old. 120 to 150 years ago, a plan was put in place. It was done so by a select few families. A lot of people think that the government are the ones screwing them. The government are the ones oppressing them. The government really is just like a cloak. Like the government is full of employees who are just doing their job. And they probably think for the most part that they're actually helping. They don't realize, like, that the government isn't even the government. They don't realize they're working for a for-profit corporation that's owned by Europe. Right. 